Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Um, obviously, we lost the rugby. Um, reasons that Gabriella was singing so beautifully is they obviously won the rugby. Um, and um, just one of the odd thoughts around the rugby that we lost. Um, if, you are, if you are English, British, or if you've come to that place, because yesterday there were a few of us at Garth's house. Now, you know, my history, my parents are Jamaican, Garth is Zimbabwean, but we shouted for England as though we were completely English. Um, I think one of the issues that we should really take up with Eddie Jones and others is that we actually thought we might win. <laughs> That was the problem. <laughs> we thought we might win. So, it, and before the game, we, in our um, arrogance, really, as we sat by Garth's, you know, screen, we talked about how many points would we win by? <laughs> yeah, we sat and we talked. How many points would we win by? And this person said that, and that person said this, and, uh, and we lost. And that, that feeling of thinking you were going to win and then losing is worse than the feeling of hoping you're going to win but knowing really you're not going to win. Yeah, it's a worse feeling. That would be my thing. Anyway, congratulations to South Africa. And um, it was great actually to have Gabriella with us to remind us of that. Anyway, so, um, cool. Okay, so... We are continuing our series in the book of James. James, faith that works. That's what we've called it. Uh, James is one of those, um, in some ways, one of the most um, tricky books in the New Testament, I would describe it as, because he's so direct, it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. He says things that you almost think that James must be a little bit of a maverick and He's just got his own thoughts. He's, he's the brother of Jesus, the younger brother. Jesus was the firstborn, we know that. Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus. But James is, is, is called the brother of Jesus, like the literal um, brother of Jesus. Um, he becomes the head of the church, which is interesting because you'll know, if you know anything of the story, that there were moments in Jesus' history where, or Jesus' life where his family did not believe in him. They kind of almost mocked him. And James, I imagine, would have been one of those. And there's a moment in the story where Jesus' brothers and his mum come to take him away because they think he's talking about all sorts of nonsense. I imagine James must have been one of them. He's the brother of Jesus. But he comes through and becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which was obviously the first church, the, the fundamentally the early church, and at that point, the most influential church, and probably around in history, one of those. That's who James was. And he doesn't pull the punches. He doesn't finesse things. He doesn't, um, he doesn't try and help us just by, you know, just saying things in an okay way. He really, he really goes for it. And you'll remember a couple of weeks ago when Steve opened the series, he talked about consider it pure joy when you endure trials of many kinds. And how we get joy in trials in the same sentence, we don't know, but James thought that was a good idea. 
And then last, uh, two weeks ago, when Matt spoke, he talked about the idea of hearing and doing. And, you, and, and uh, I, I listened to his message. He talked about um, looking in the mirror and not then doing anything about or forgetting what you look like. And how important it is us, for us not just to hear the word, but to do the word. And James is very much like that. He's very straight. You hear, you do. You know, faith can work. He's, he's very straight on those things. This week, we enter James chapter 2. And um, if you've seen it in a Bible, James chapter 2 begins with this little headline, favouritism forbidden, or something like that. So we're going to read the first 13 verses, and then we're just going to unpack a little bit about uh, what James says about favouritism. I'm reading from the, the New Living Translation. I changed my translations, it seems. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if, you're, if you favour some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil thoughts, evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom? He promised to those who love him. But you dishonour the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbour as yourself. But if you favour some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but you do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, being with us this morning. We thank you for just that sense of the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for truth that we may have sung um, dozens of times, but it comes to us fresh again today where we are. And we pray, Father, that in these moments you will open our hearts to hear your word, to receive your word, and to act on your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be honest, there's, there's lots of things in this particular passage, but I really want to focus on one thing. 
I really want to focus on this idea of favouritism. I want to give a bit of attention to that. Uh, Because as I began to look into this and, 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 you know, and began to unpack this, I realised it's a much bigger issue than probably I thought. It's probably bigger for all of us than we realise. And for most of us, we don't even see it as an issue. Not really. Not an issue that we need to worry God about. It might be human, you know, I favour this child over that child. We might just think of it in that way. But it's not a big deal for us. But as, as when you look at this passage and you see some of the things that James is saying about it, uh, you realise, oh, maybe it's a bigger issue for God than I thought. But even then I might go to myself, which is why I said what I said about James at the beginning. James, he's a little bit like that, isn't he? He just goes a little bit hard. hard. Not everyone would speak like that. But I realised, as I thought about it, favouritism is a massive issue. Favouritism is a human issue. As people, we have this natural tendency to show favouritism. So it's not even like you can hide from it. It's not even like you can pretend it doesn't happen. Favouritism often comes... Um, in our relationship, you know, you prefer this person to that person. You call this person, not that person. You're drawn to this one, not that one. Yeah, and you might not even think why that is, but there will be reasons why you why that happens. Now, when you're, you know, when you've got like, you know, children, you know, maybe you grew up with siblings or whatever, and siblings sometimes argue and fight, and they prefer and all of that kind of stuff. It's it's not great, it can be awkward, but you kind of get by, you kind of get through. Where favouritism comes out really and becomes incredibly destructive is when it enters relationships that are, have power in them. You see, power, we might all struggle with favouritism with our peers, but the favouritism becomes a really big issue when I'm no longer a peer, I'm a boss or when I become a father or a mother, yeah? I might have exactly the same issue that I had with my brother. Now, actually, when I was younger, I didn't fight my brother. Yeah, he was a little bit bigger than me, and I, I just made some decisions about that, yeah? When we don't need to fight. We can negotiate, we can talk, we can just work things out together, yeah? But, but brothers do fight, don't they? And, and, you know, sisters will fight and all of that kind of stuff. And sometimes siblings can fight and it, and it gets a little bit thing and then the next minute they're hugging and, it, and, and it's all over. And, because you, and then that might be, there might be favouritism in it, but favouritism really comes out when relationships are imbalanced and there's power. That's when favouritism becomes a really big issue. It's when power and authority is in the relationships. So you're talking now about parents and children, employers and employees, managers and staff, teachers and students, the boss, leaders, people, people who wield power, when they show favouritism, it's a big issue. It's a big issue. You may prefer one of your colleagues over another. That's not a problem, really. It becomes a problem if you become their boss. Then it becomes a problem. And that's why I think the Bible 
speaks so much about how we handle power or authority-based relationships. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. You know, uh, uh, masters, treat your slaves well. You know, and, and all of those kinds of relationships, the Bible talks about them because those relationships are power-based. Leaders serve your people, all, all those kinds of things. And as Christians, sometimes we've just learnt or developed ways of not even thinking about this thing of favouritism or of justifying it to ourselves. And we don't even consider what James has said as being related to us. It's not really about, you know, that. We simply ignore it. And we don't realise that when you look at it, God hates favouritism. And he sees it as sin. But as I said, it's probably the most understated of sins. Because we all do it all of the time. It may not be based on fancy clothes. I mean, we're not talking about necessarily, you know, even John's admitted, hey, I'm not dressed in my fanciest of clothes today. I'm dressed more in my autumn clothes today. It's not, for us, it's not so much about fancy clothes necessarily um, or, or jewellery. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, if you came in with some big chains around your neck or some rings, that wouldn't necessarily make me want to come and talk to you. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily be drawn to those kinds of things. Yeah, but we do favour people on many things. We favour people because of our own stuff. Yeah, you know, if I had, if I had, I've got three daughters, as you know, but imagine if I had three sons and one of them was really good at football, and I wanted to be a footballer. Yeah, I, I, I had that dream at twelve and thirteen or whatever. I imagined myself on match of the day. Not in the crowd. Yeah? But imagine if I had had three sons and, and one of them turned out to be an exceptionally good footballer. It would be very easy for me to show favouritism to that child. It would be easy for me to do that. I can imagine. You know, and I could justify it in all sorts of ways because most of the time you show favouritism, you don't even realise you're doing it. But it would be very easy because sometimes we show favouritism out of our own needs. Sometimes we show favouritism to people because of how they look. Yeah, they look nice. Yeah, they're, they're pretty or they're good looking. We, we show favouritism because of how people look. We show favouritism because of someone's ethnicity, their personality. They're just a nice person. They're, they're character traits that we like. We show favouritism towards people for all sorts of reasons that we don't even think about. And it's almost like how we live. That's how we do it. We just show favouritism. Yet favouritism is discrimination. It's positive prejudice. Let's hear this. It's not that I'm not nice or generous to you. It's not that I don't show you any grace or help or support. But I give this person more grace, more support, more help, more time. More, more, I'm more willing to listen. I'm more willing to try and understand. That's, that's favouritism. Oh, yeah, of course I'll help you. Of course I will. But this person, I'll help them more. That's favouritism. And it's understated. We often don't realise we're doing it. And yet this passage tells us that favouritism is judgement based on evil motives. It's sin. Those can be subjective judgments. 
Those can be about my stuff, not necessarily your stuff. Whatever it is, it's a problem. And it's a bigger problem when we deny it's a problem or when we justify our actions. Because when you justify your actions, sin remains rooted. Yeah? The way, one of the ways to deal with sin initially is to recognise that it's sin and to recognise that it's wrong and to recognise I need to change that. But most of the time we don't recognise sin like that, we justify sin. Oh, that's just, the, oh, you know, it's okay. We're underrated. We don't take it seriously enough. You must understand God does not show favouritism. Now, I know there'll be questions. Well, but sometimes God, he doesn't show favouritism. Let me just bring a few verses to you that kind of just lean us there. Leviticus 19 verse 15. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favouritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. So although we've read in the passage where James talks about uh, the man who comes in expensive clothes and the one who doesn't have expensive clothes, it's interesting, he's given an example. He's given an example. I know he goes and he explains the example, but it is an example. You, we're not meant to favour anyone over anyone else. I shouldn't favour you particularly because you're poor any more than I should favour you because you are rich. I need to treat you fairly. I need to treat you without discrimination. Because I could favour the poor with very prideful motives. It'd be very easy to do that. Because of something in me, it helps me, I feel better. Romans 2 says, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Why? For God does not show favouritism. God doesn't show favouritism to people, whether they be Jew or they be Gentile. And then in Ephesians 6, it says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way, that, you know, you know, in, in a righteous way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. So there's very clearly something about God is not a God who shows favouritism to people. He doesn't do that. Why does he not show favouritism? Why does God not show favouritism? Quick things. First of all, it's against his character. Yeah? The very character of God does not lean one way or the other around people. He doesn't look at you and think to yourself, think to himself, look, this person has dressed well today. They've combed their hair, they've brushed their teeth, they're early for church. I will show. No, he doesn't do that. God doesn't show favouritism in that way. I mean, the Bible says that he will show mercy to whom he'll show mercy and he'll show favour to whom he'll show favour. Yeah, God does things in his own way. He doesn't show favouritism to individuals. Secondly, he doesn't show favouritism because it undermines the gospel of grace. Yeah, that we come to him with unmerited, and, and he receives us and it's unmerited acceptance. Somebody prayed earlier about grace. Unmerited acceptance. That's how God 
responds to us. It's not conditional. It's not based on whether you come to church. It's not based on whether you try to be good. It's not based on those things. It's unconditional. So if, if God were to show favoritism, he'd be doing something that is completely in contrary to the gospel of grace that we have received. And he doesn't show favoritism because even this passage tells us about this royal law. Love your neighbour as yourself. That's the royal law. That's what Jesus said. So why should we not show favoritism? Favoritism is sin. I've just said that. Favoritism causes us to judge between people. That's just wrong. Judging people is wrong. And it's based on personal and human judgments. It's subjective. Yeah, based on my needs, I prefer this person coming through the door than that person. It sidelines people. As I've said, it's discrimination. Favoritism could be around gifts and abilities, wealth and education. It produces cliques in churches and makes them monocultural at heart, even if they are multicultural in attendance. When we show favoritism to people who are like us, or the kinds of people that we wouldn't want in the church, it produces the very things that we don't want. Yeah? When we gather around us people who just help us, it produces what we don't want. It makes some people come to church and feel outside. That should never be the case. Now, let's be honest, I'm not saying that ever, ever isn't the case. It often is the case, sadly, but it should never be the case because it doesn't reflect God, doesn't reflect the one that you worship. But it's something that you have to fight for regularly. You can't just go, oh, yeah, no, we don't do that. You actually have to be intentional in making sure we are not the kinds of people that bring about favourites. That's why you have to be wary of, you know, when it comes to mission. Even with mission, we can do favour. You know, oh, yeah, we want to reach this kind of person. No, we don't. We, everyone needs the gospel. Everyone who lives within this kind of area, they need the gospel. And the other thing is why we mustn't do it, and it's really important. Favoritism destroys relationships between people. And what I mean by that, it's the impact of third-party sin. Yeah, so let's say, silly example, Phil and Paulina are my children. Yeah? I show favoritism to Pauline over Phil. That's not just wrong because of all that it does for me. But in doing that, I destroy their relationship. Because the natural response of Phil to Pauline in that context is going to be envy. That's a natural response. It's not like, oh my, where did envy come from? Envy is a response to being on the receiving end of favouritism. People being favoured over you. And that's what we see. We see it all the time. We see it around our nation. You favour one group over another group. You favour the rich over the poor. What do the poor do? The poor rise up. They get angry. Why? It's natural. When we show favouritism, the people who we're not favouring may react to that. That's natural. It happens in individual relationships, but it happens among peoples, people groups. You show favouritism over one people group over another. You deny that you're doing it, but you do it. This people group are going to rise against you. That's what's going to happen. It's natural. The impact of third party sin. Great examples in the Bible. Jacob. Yeah. Jacob shows favouritism to Joseph over his brothers. The brothers don't say to the father, we hate you, dad. 
They say to Joseph, we hate you. They hated Joseph. They didn't hate the father. They wanted the father's approval. But instead of getting the father's approval, they see the father's approval on on their brother. So they hate their brother. They get rid of their brother. God at no point says in that story of Jacob and Joseph and all of that, and I was planning all along all of this. No, Joseph at the end recognises what you meant to do to harm, God meant for good. God was going to work his good out of it. But it wasn't that God had planned it. Oh yeah, I'm going to let favouritism happen and then this. God did not plan it, but God worked good out of it because that's what he does. So how do I not show favoritism if it's that natural, if it's that innate in me? First of all, there's the royal law, an intentional and consistent act. And the royal law is expressed most obviously in the story of the Good Samaritan. It says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replies, how do you read it? He answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. There's a little hint there, isn't there, for us. Do this and you will live. So the royal law, love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus, as you know, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan and then at the end, he asks the expert in the law a question. You know the story. You know, I don't need to repeat the story, but you you know the story, I'm assuming just for these moments. And then he says at the end to the expert in the law, which of these three people do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And it's obvious the expert in the law, he can't, he, can't, he can't do anything but say, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So if the royal law, which James talks about, is about loving your neighbour as yourself, the question of who is your neighbour, well, it's the person you show mercy to. It's the person you're around who has need. It's not a particular person, the person who lives at number 46. It's the person that you might engage with in in life. It could be anyone. That was the whole point of the story. The neighbour could be anyone. Which is why, and you can't show favouritism if you are trying to obey the royal law. Because it doesn't work. The royal law is love your neighbour as yourself. Who's your neighbour? The neighbour could be anyone. Favoritism is about particular. It's subjective. It's about judgment. It's about me deciding. Now, it's important for us to understand this. And I've laboured it. God does not show favoritism. But he does show favour. God does show favour. And if we can understand why God shows favour, we can begin to understand why favouritism is out. Yeah? 
Now, let me give you an example of where God shows favour right at the beginning of the Bible, because these issues are there from the beginning. Genesis chapter 4, you have the story of Cain and Abel. And it says this, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, and here's our hint, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. Why was Abel's offering acceptable and Cain's not acceptable? Now, it's one, one level it's difficult to answer it because we know, we know that, that often these things are, are inner, that, that it's about motives. It's, and, and God says, doesn't he, later, he, he says quite explicitly, God, God doesn't look on the outward appearance, he looks on the heart. And on this situation, God's looking at hearts here. He's not looking at outward. He's looking at hearts and what that means. But what it says is Abel brings some of the fruits. Uh, uh, Cain brings some of the fruits. Abel brings some fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. Abel gives the first thing. From the firstborn from the best, if you like, from the, first, the, from the very thing that he is first given from God, the first thing he does, he gives back. He gives back. It says of Cain, he brings some of the fruits. Some of the fruits. Cain could have brought from any... Well, I don't know at what point Cain has made that decision. Cain might have kept most of the fruit, then given God something. It's not clear, but it does make that distinction. Abel brings firstborn. Now it's also interesting, when Cain brings his offering to God, at that point, he may not even realise that his offering is not acceptable. He becomes aware of it when Abel brings his offering. Yeah? So there's this, there is this, when the one who brings the right offering receives something from that, that, that becomes an issue for Cain. And what happens, as I said earlier, Cain immediately, Cain is angry, he's, he's upset, and God warns him, right now, Cain, you are in danger. You are fragile. Sin is crouching at your door. If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted, Cain. So it wasn't about comparing himself with Abel. Cain had every opportunity to do the right thing, just as Abel did the right thing. Here's another example. Then Peter began to speak and this is when Peter goes and he's preaching to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles and that was never meant to happen. Peter says, you know, I'm not meant to be hanging around with you. Why have you called me here? The Holy Spirit comes upon them and then Peter says this, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts from every nation 
the one who fears him and does what is right. What does God say to Cain? If you do what is right. Thousands of years later, what does Peter say about, about the Holy Spirit coming and God being upon the Gentiles? God accepts those who fear him and do what is right. So what's the difference then between favouritism and favour? Favouritism is personal, it's specific, it's divisive. I prefer Pauline to Phil because Pauline's female, because she's an artist, because, because, because. Personal, specific, it's divisive. It's subjective. Favour is non-discriminatory. Discriminatory. It's available to all. All of us are free to do what is right. All of us are free to fear God. Yeah, that's not personal. That's like, oh yeah, that's all right for you. You can fear God. I can't. No, we're all free to do what is right. We're all free to fear God. We're all free to honour him. We're all free to give him the best. All of us. It's not personal. It's non-discriminatory. We're all given that opportunity. And when you do right, you receive his favour. There's another way, though, that we receive his favour. Out of nowhere... The Bible talks about Noah, and it has this verse. But Noah found favour in the eyes of God. doesn't tell us why. I mean, later it mentions one or two things that you could kind of hint, but it doesn't say why. It just says Noah found favour with God. And in Deuteronomy, when it talks about the people of Israel, it says, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession." The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. He didn't do it because you were numerous. But you were the fewest of all people's. But it was because the Lord loved you. The God chooses people because he loves them. And that's a God thing. Now he had to remind Israel because Israel had a tendency to begin to think of themselves more highly than they ought because they were the chosen people. But God was like, no, don't, please don't do that because it's not about you. I didn't choose you because you were particularly special or great. I chose you because I chose you because I chose you. Sometimes God chooses for his own purpose, his own plan, and his own good pleasure. But he doesn't discriminate with evil thoughts, because God doesn't have evil thoughts. He doesn't discriminate with poor judgment, because God doesn't make poor judgment. He pours his love out. And even as we heard earlier, we are worth so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for us. And when we receive that, when we accept that, it changes everything. But it also honours him. When we don't receive it, when we walk away from it, we actually dishonour God. We dishonour the level of of grace and the, the magnitude of the cost that he made for us. 
In a moment, we're just going to just sing a song to finish. Phil, do you want to come up? But I just want to say this in summary. Just to kind of root it here among us as a group of people. Favouritism is like a cancer in the church. But it gets caught in the same way you would catch a common cult. It's a really deep thing. It, it takes life. Cancer takes life. People don't die from colds. You know, we, we, have, we have colds every, you know, we all have colds all of the time, multiple colds. But favouritism is like a cancer in that it can kill, it can divide, it can destroy. But it's so common, it's like having a cold. And so the only way that we can deal with that is firstly to acknowledge it and to acknowledge where we show favouritism, it's sin. It's not something that we just ignore or don't worry about or just say, oh yeah, but we're all like that. No, it's sinful. James has made that really clear. And James's point about the law was this. You might keep every big legal, every big law of God, you might keep. Favoritism doesn't come up in the Ten Commandments as a specific law. You might keep all the Ten Commandments, all these I've kept, Jesus has heard people say again and again and again. All these I've kept. But if you break the law in one place, you may as well break all the law because you've broken the law. And this passage talks of favoritism in that way. That's how serious God takes it. And then when you make the link to favoritism and, and sometimes how churches then function because we favour certain people, so we look certain ways, you realise, oh my goodness, we need to do something about this. It's a cancer that we want to be rid of. And so we're going re- to respond and, and we're, we're going to kind of sing in our response, but I also want you to reflect in your response. I want you to reflect to yourself and maybe those who are close to you, if you're married, your husband and wife or friends, just reflect about whether you're, in what ways you show favour and in what ways you can change that. And that we might become a church where we do not show favouritism to people, but we do bring the favour of God to people. Because that changes everything. Let's stand and sing together. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.